0: From the WGLT newsroom, good morning, I'm Jack Palasnik. A long-delayed plan to improve Fox Creek Road and replace a bridge there is back on track. On Monday, the Bloomington City Council located spending nearly half a million dollars for engineering and construction plans. City Manager Tim Gleason calls the project important for better connecting the city's east and west sides.
1: Not just accessibility to the existing subdivision businesses uh, that are in that area, but we know that there's growth coming. So this is a huge project for the community.
0: Gleason says construction on the $14.5 million project should begin this year, but he says the complicated work will be a multi-year endeavor. The improved road will have five lanes plus a pathway for pedestrians and cyclists. A provost and executive vice president at Miami University in Ohio says she's ready to come back to Bloomington Normal. Elizabeth Mullenix is the third person announced as seeking Illinois State University's open presidential position.
2: I'm not an
3: alum, but I feel like one because I was here for 11 years and um, really had a a wonderful start to my career and have um, good friends who are in the audience, and it, it, it is wonderful to be back.
0: Mullenix got her start at ISU in the late 1990s. She was a professor, associate theater department chair, and associate dean of the College of Fine Arts. She's one of four people seeking the presidency, and the second so far to have a direct tie to ISU. The victim who was shot and killed by police this weekend on Interstate 55 near Lexington is 37-year-old Trayvon C. Little of Springfield. That's according to the McLean County Coroner's Office. Illinois State Police are still conducting an internal investigation into what happened, and say they will not release more information until it's done. What they have said is they got a call for shots fired Saturday afternoon. Troopers say they found two cars on the shoulder of the highway. Police say Little was shooting at one of the vehicles and troopers exchanged gunfire. The coroner says the cause of death is multiple gunshot wounds. A toxicology report is pending. And the parent company of a Bloomington normal nursing home says it will try to stay alive despite deep debt. Peterson Healthcare operates Bloomington Rehabilitation and Healthcare Center. The firm owes more than $55 million and is in the hands of a court-appointed receiver. A report in McKnight's Long-Term Care News indicates Peterson will try to restructure so it can afford to pay its bills. Peterson has 19 care facilities in receivership. I'm Jack Palasznik, WGLT News.
3: Support for WGLT comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The CPB's Community Service Grant helps WGLT bring you morning edition, all things considered, and more programming on which you depend for news, information, and entertainment. Additional support comes from WGLT listeners. This is 89.1 WGLT and
4: WGLT.org.
5: The 1A Book Club is back with You Dreamed of Empires by Alvaro Enrique. It's been described as a colonial revenge fantasy. Alvaro joins us next time on 1A. I'm Jen White, host of 1A, Listen at 9 a.m. on WGLT Bloomington Normal's Public Radio.
3: It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. I'm Michelle Martin.
6: And I'm Layla Falzell. By the end of today, we'll know who won the Democratic primary in Michigan. We won't have a definitive winner on the Republican side until Saturday, but neither expect it to be a surprise. It's likely to be former President Trump against President Biden. Now, Michigan is a critical swing state in presidential elections, and Biden got a boost with an early endorsement from the United Auto Workers. But do rank and file members heed the leadership? We headed northwest of Detroit to Flint, where General Motors was founded, and spent the day with one family of auto workers. Hi. Hi. Are you Shelley? I'm Shelly. I'm Layla. Hi, Layla. It's so nice to, nice to, to meet, meet you. you. That's Shelley Zisler welcoming us into the home she shares with her husband Matt. We sit down in their living room. The walls are graced with family pictures and there's a little aquarium in the corner. I start by asking if the UAW endorsement means they're voting for Biden.
1: I will never let anyone tell me who to vote for. I'll take information from everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, in the end I'll make up my own mind whether it's the union endorsed candidate or not.
6: This work and the union run in their blood. The couple met on the job, working for the same GM plant. He was my electrician. Oh, nice! And then eventually, I figured out how to make my machine quit working, so he would have to come over and.
1: <laughs> I knew it when she figured it out, but I didn't tell her not to do it anymore.
6: <laughs> Shelly's a third-generation auto worker, and one of her sons is now also in the union and an auto worker, as was her grandfather. And father, a lifelong Democrat before he passed. She carried on that tradition as well until recently. My dad was diehard Democrat, so yeah. I grew up a Democrat, and was, it was almost impounded in me that we're Democrats, we're Democrats, we're Democrats. Yeah. And last year was the first time that I voted Republican because I felt like Trump was better suited to run our country. She misspoke there. She meant the last presidential election in 2020. She blames Biden for the record number of migrants crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Trump has vowed to crack down, while Biden blames Republicans in Congress, encouraged by Trump, of blocking legislation that would reform the immigration system. Shelley's husband identifies as libertarian, and he says he wants the government to stop sending money to wars abroad when it's hard for most Americans to make ends meet
1: here. I really don't know in this general election, if either one of them is worth my vote.
6: Mm. Do you feel like you don't have a
1: good choice? Yes. Within the last two general elections, I felt the yeah. same way.
6: What did you do last election, if you don't mind me asking? I voted for Trump last you election. You did? Mm-hmm. And did you feel well, like it was, at that time? I, it, was,
1: it was a very painful vote.
6: Both Shelley and Matt say they wish they had different choices. They say they're worried about how deeply divided the
1: country is. I think we're mirroring Washington more and more and more. Mm. We watch some of the hearings over there, and it's juvenile. And that's what's happening here in, in the country. So they're supposed to be leaving us, and they're acting like fools over there.
6: Shelley's 27-year-old son, Matt Vaughn, is sitting nearby. He says despite we'll the ready. generous pay raise he got we'll in the most more. recent union contract, he can't keep up with the still. cost of living.
3: We're trying to save and trying to take a vacation every now and then. It's almost next to impossible. Mm-hmm. It, it's... It's hard, and I struggled quite a bit.
6: We're joined now by national political correspondent Don Gagne. He's based here in Michigan. He's covered the auto worker industry and unions for decades now. So, Don, we just heard from a union family. How representative are they of the union vote?
7: So when you listen to them and you listen to their concerns, I, I would say that they are a
3: typical UAW family.
6: Are they of the union vote?
3: So when you
7: listen to them and you listen to their concerns, I, I would say that they are a typical UAW family, but I don't know that I would call them the typical UAW family. The UAW, according to their internal polling, they're kind of at odds with where the union is more broadly, but not overwhelmingly, But it also shows that the UAW vote, like the union vote broadly, is not monolithic. A lot of people vote for a lot of reasons, even if they're in the unions. Some of them are voting on trade policy or on union issues, but some of them are voting on abortion or other social issues.
6: So I guess the big question is, how much does the endorsement matter?
7: It feels like it's a pretty significant endorsement, more so than in years past. Again, I mentioned that number, 60%, where Democrats not only count on that, but need that, right? And in years past, there have been a lot of cycles, too many cycles for auto workers, where they've had concessionary contracts, where they've had break-even contracts. They've been struggling. They've been beaten down. They weren't necessarily ready to take advice from their leadership, right? Now they've come through a period with a new and charismatic UAW leader, Sean Fain, who just brought them through a successful six-week strike in the fall. They got raises in the range of 30%. They got new job security. There is a resurgent UAW right now. Mm -hmm. And the question for me is if that has an impact at the ballot box.
6: Yeah. President Biden calls himself the most pro-union president ever. Does his record reflect that?
7: Uh, It does. You know, he calls himself Union Joe. He talks about the unions backing him when he first ran for office decades and decades ago, and they've stuck with him and he stuck with them. Uh, He has consistently supported policies, uh, right to organize, uh, worker protections, those sorts of things that the unions have pushed for. And don't underestimate the fact that during that auto strike last fall, he showed up in Detroit and marched on the picket line with striking auto workers. No president had ever done that. And that same week, former President Trump came to town, but he went to a non-union parts factory in the suburbs, and the UAW leadership and the rank and file sure took notice
3: of that.
6: And for political correspondent, Don Gagne. Thank you, Don.
3: My pleasure. As Russia's invasion of Ukraine enters a third year, our next guest is trying to keep Ukraine's economy going.
8: What's really amazing is during this war, the economy is still alive, active and resilient. So there's a lot to do. Penny Pritzker
3: is a former Commerce Secretary and now the U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine Reconstruction and Economic Recovery. The United States has provided more than $47 billion in support to Ukraine since the war began. Now, Republicans in Congress are blocking more aid to resist Russia. A. Martinez
8: asked Pritzker how she's working with American businesses and U.S. allies to help there's a huge perception that the United States is doing all this work by itself and that's not true. First of all, our allies have donated more money and more resources to Ukraine than we have. Second is they're very much working with Ukraine to also try and help their economy grow. You know, recently the EU passed a package of over 50 billion dollars of additional aid over the upcoming 4 years. Everything from infrastructure to budget relief.
3: How can reconstruction begin when when there's still a war happening?
8: Well, first of all, let's keep in mind 60% of Ukraine has not experienced war. So there's definitely parts of Ukraine where investment is possible. We have good American companies that are expanding in Ukraine, whether it's Coca-Cola, which has its largest bottling plant in Europe, in Ukraine. And its plant was captured by the Russians and then taken back. And that plant was reconstructed. McDonald's increased the number of its outlets in Ukraine by 10%. Citigroup is working to reinvest the proceeds that it's earning in Ukraine back into the country.
3: Is there any reconstruction, any opportunities that you're focusing on uh, right now that are happening right now or maybe can happen relatively soon?
8: Yeah, well, you've seen grain exports have grown three to four times just since August. That's because we've been able to demine and open a corridor along the Black Sea coastline that allows Ukraine's production of grains and, and in fact steel as well to be exported out of the country. The tech sector has grown 7%. Most U.S. tech companies that have facilities in Ukraine are still up and operating. GDP was up 5% last year. Investment was up 17%. Tax revenue was up 25% in January. Inflation is down 7%. There's no doubt there's a war going on, and that's an impediment to extensive investment. But there is opportunity still today, and there is growth today.
3: What happens to reconstruction plans if Russia wins?
8: Well, I assume that my efforts will stand down, but that's not going to be the case. With U.S. support, Ukraine has the capacity, has the resilience, has the capability of beating back Russia. But we cannot hold back on giving them the military equipment and the budget and economic assistance they need to persist and win.
3: Secretary, you have a personal family connection to Ukraine. How has that influenced your desire to serve in this post and and how you approach this post?
8: Well, why did my great grandfather leave Ukraine? The same issue that's going on today. The Russian pogroms 140 years ago destroyed my family's grain store and threatened the life and livelihood of my ancestors and here we are 140 years later and russia is trying to do the same thing we need to help
3: that's penny pritzker special representative for ukraine reconstruction and economic recovery she's also a former commerce secretary secretary thank you
8: thank you so much
3: This is NPR
9: News. I'm Peter O'Dowd. Donald Trump is not the only 2020 election denier running for election this year. At least 17 others are running for office, many of them toning down their rhetoric that the last presidential election was stolen. That's next time on Here and Now.
0: Next time for Here and Now is today at noon on 89.1 WGLT and WGLT.org.
9: WGLT's Inside Art video series is talking to Bloomington Normal artists about their creative process. Our newest episode features concrete sculptor Ayanna Zachary, who's a co-founder of the Hangar Art Company and a contributor to the Sculpture Park near downtown Bloomington.
10: I love the art community. I moved here to, to change my life, and I did.
9: Watch Zachary create and every other episode of the Inside Art series on WGLT's YouTube channel. Find a link at WGLT.org.
10: The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today.
0: Go to npr.org app to listen to WGLT and NPR on your time.
9: You'll never miss a thing by signing up for WGLT's email newsletter, Scoop. What you'll get is our best local stories.
10: Here, the clinic lost its nonprofit status with the IRS after failing to file... And a, a
9: heads up about NPR specials and new podcasts.
6: It's election night in New Hampshire. The state's 104-year-old tradition continues... What
9: you won't get is slammed with unnecessary emails. We only send when we've got something important to tell you. Subscribe now at WGLT.org email.
10: From the campus of Illinois State University.
0: This is 891 WGLT Normal.
10: Part of the NPR Network.
0: Support for NPR comes from the station. And from Progressive Insurance, home of the Name Your Price tool, so drivers can see coverage options at progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Align Probiotic, a daily supplement designed by gastroenterologists to help relieve occasional bloating, gas, and abdominal discomfort. More at alignprobiotics.com. From Charles Schwab, offering investors choices like full-service wealth management, advice, investing, and trading on thinkorswim. Learn more at schwab.com. And from the William T. Grant Foundation, supporting research to improve the lives of young people at WTGrantFDN.org.
5: It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Michelle Martin. On the app Cameo, you can pay a celebrity to record a personalized video. Often people want a birthday or holiday greeting, but sometimes these greetings are used to troll people. And lately, the app is being used for political propaganda by tricking the stars involved. NPR's Shannon Bond has this report.
10: Last fall, a video appeared on TikTok titled An Urgent Appeal from Hollywood Stars to Maya Sandu. Sandu is the pro European president of Moldova and a frequent target of pro Russian political attacks. The video is bizarre. It shows a series of celebrities cheerfully addressing Sandu as Moldova's national anthem plays in the background.
8: A message for Sandu.
10: Hi, Sandu, it's Lindsay
8: Lohan. Hello, Sandu. Sandu, hi.
10: That's action star Dolph Lundgren, Lindsay Lohan from Mean Girls, and Brian Baumgartner, who played Kevin on The Office. They're followed by several other celebrities. Then things get weirder. They all say the same phrase in very bad Russian. Here's Lundgren again.
0: Dava
8: Sandu,
10: Which translates to, let's get rid of Sandhu. It turns out the stars were paid to make these videos through Cameo. Most of the actors didn't respond to my inquiries. But one, martial artist Mark DeCascos was told the video was meant for a person named Sandhu who was becoming a stuntwoman, his representative told me. Instead, the cameo videos were edited together and posted on TikTok and in pro-Russian Telegram channels, getting hundreds of thousands of views. Researcher Victoria Olar at the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab spotted the video on TikTok and thought it seemed odd. The meaning of the messages they are delivering is different, you know,
8: it doesn't match the vibe of the video.
10: Attacks on Sandu are ramping up ahead of Moldova's presidential election this fall. Olar says this particular video is not just about discrediting Sandu. It's also about mocking Western celebrities as doing anything for money. It was just for fun for them. They openly say that it was a, a trick. Cameo says tricking performers goes against its rules. But it's not the first time the app has been abused this way. Last year, propagandists used Cameo videos to falsely depict celebrities urging Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky to seek help for addiction. Shannon Bond, NPR News.
5: Just like movies, many video games have intricate storylines and characters. And as in Hollywood, there are conversations about how video games represent the LGBTQ community. Less than 2% of all games feature LGBTQ characters or storylines, even though a study by Nielsen and the advocacy group GLAAD found that one in five American gamers identify that way. NPR's Katie Klein looked into the disparity.
2: Veronica Ripley plays video games for a living, streaming for a live audience on Twitch. She created an online community for trans gamers called Transmission Gaming. She wanted trans people to have a safe place to play Overwatch, a multiplayer shooting game.
9: It's difficult when you're trans to hop on voice chat with random people because you open yourself up to criticism or potential harassment.
2: But according to Glad, the anti-LGBTQ gamers are in the minority. Ripley said video games were critical in her understanding of gender. One game that made a big impact was The Sims.
9: You can make an avatar and explore what it's like to try on a different gender for a little while. Games that allow people to do that are some of the best games for queer folks, in
8: my opinion.
2: Ripley has a similar story to a growing number of gamers who identify as LGBTQ, which is 17% of people who game an hour or more a week and 19% of gamers who play 10 or more hours a week, according to that Glad study. Adrian Shaw is one of the study's head researchers. For decades now, popular understandings of the gaming audience have made people really think it's a core small group of adolescent cisgender white heterosexual males playing video games, and that hasn't been true for a long time. And Glad says there's an idea among game developers and the public that audiences are more resistant to LGBTQ characters than they actually are. Here's Tristan Mara, Glad's head of research.
10: The large majority of non-LGBTQ gamers are not dissuaded by LGBTQ representation. It makes no difference in their likelihood to buy or play.
2: Recently, there have been a handful of major games with prominent LGBTQ characters, like Ellie from The Last of Us, who's lesbian.
6: I shouldn't have kissed you in front of all of those people. No, you were drunk, It's fine.
2: Well, still, I just, I don't want you to think... No, I'm
6: not reading into it or anything.
2: Or the 2015 game Life is Strange, developed by Don't Nod Entertainment, where the main female characters, Max and Chloe, could end up together. You can afford to take chances whenever and whatever you want to try. For example, I dare you to kiss me. What? Michelle Kaur is the co-creator of Life is Strange. He said Don't Nod started as an independent game studio, so they had creative control.
9: And at a point, we needed funding, so we went to meet publishers, we got some feedbacks from some publisher that, oh no, this won't sell. We cannot publish this game, even if it looks cool.
2: But they did find a major game studio that would take that chance. Square Enix published Life is Strange with no changes. They say it went on to have over 20 million players. But many companies are still reluctant. And Core says, in the end, video games are a business.
9: Everybody is making calculation and wants to know the numbers, wants to know if there is too much risk by adding more LGBTQ themes or not.
2: The risk is significant in overseas markets where that content could get a game banned.
9: If we were to release the game in Russia, for example, we wouldn't have been able to include this romance, this arc.
2: Glad hopes their new data will encourage companies and maybe even the world to embrace LGBTQ representation in games. Katie Klein, NPR News, Washington.
5: Tomorrow on Morning Edition, we will have results and analysis from the Michigan presidential primary. What could today's primary tell the presidential campaigns about their prospects for the general elections in the fall? To hear the story, listen to NPR on your smartphone, smart speaker, or on your radio. This is NPR News. The Voyager 1 spacecraft blasted off Earth back in
10: 1977. It's now about 15 billion miles away, and it has stopped talking to scientists in coherent ways.
7: My motto for a long time was 50 years for
0: bust. <laughs> We're sort of approaching that.
3: Hear how scientists are trying to get to the bottom of the spacecraft's discombobulation on all things considered from NPR News.
9: Listen today at 3 on 89.1 WGLT and WGLT.org.
1: Wages are up. Growth is up. So
9: too, though, are
3: prices. The political economy of this moment, next time on Marketplace.
0: Listen to Marketplace beginning at 5.30 this afternoon on WGLT, sponsored by CEFQ.
4: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. President Biden says an agreement for a temporary ceasefire between Israel and Hamas could be announced within days.
10: My national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. We're not done yet. And my hope is by
4: next Monday we'll have a ceasefire. Biden was speaking to reporters yesterday in New York. This is presidential primary day in Michigan. President Biden is looking for another Democratic win in his reelection campaign. Former President Donald Trump is seeking another Republican victory following his win in Saturday's GOP primary in South Carolina. At the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday, justices appeared to cast doubt over state laws that could affect how big social media companies regulate content on their platforms. The laws were passed by legislatures in Florida and Texas after then-President Trump was kicked off the platforms in response to the January 6th attack at the U.S. Capitol. NPR's Kerry Johnson has more.
8: State officials in Texas and Florida said these big sites had been silencing conservative voices. They passed these laws after Trump was kicked off several platforms following the violence at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. And these laws bar the big platforms from discriminating against people because of their viewpoint. They also require sites to give individual explanations for blocking or booting people.
4: This is NPR News.